I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Well, 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 it's Halloween again, almost, and we are here to celebrate it at Bitches on Comics, the show we talk about stuff. I'm Sarah Century, one of the many hosts that is on this show, and I am here to introduce Monica Estrella Negra, who is another host on the show. Hello. Hi. I'm Monica. I am thing number two of Bitches on Comics. (laughs) And I haven't been here in a while because my ADHD has allowed me to forget about everything that I agree to do. You also have like a wild job so let's be fair oh yes i'm i'm also the resident abortion liaison so (laughs) that's pretty cool it's very sick i was doing arsenio hall moms love me (laughs) (laughs) choose choose monica yeah i'm so glad i don't believe in hell but anyway (laughs) i'm also here joined with our other co-host essie Lenor. Well, well, hello. I couldn't help but chime in because you were like, oh, it's my fault. And I was like, or is it the context of your existence? Because you're out there fighting the good fight, my friend. So don't worry about it. Um, I'm, I'm so happy to be here. It's like the full bitch family. Um, I've just embraced calling everything bitch because at one point I was a little offended when someone emailed us and said, hello, lovely bitches. It was like 50 per- no, it was like 48% offended, 52%. I wish I was as bold as you, my friend. And now I've come full circle. So I'm so happy to be one of the bitches here with the lovely bitches. I am so delighted. 
yeah, we've got three hosts, but we've got two guests slash hosts slash longtime members of Bitches on Comics. First, I want to welcome our newest member to the team, Priya Saxena. Hi, Priya. Hi, I'm Priya. I am the editorial coordinator for Bitches on Comics and Queer Spec, um, which means I did a lot of stuff for Decoded Pride, and I'm doing other stuff for things that are in the works right now. And this is my first time on the Bitches on Comics episode, so I'm excited. Woo! Yay! Yeah, I would like to introduce Kate as well. Oh, hi. <clears throat> I'm Kate Warner. <laughs> I've listened to every single Bitches episode of many times, at least twice. Uh, I'm the editor of, the, well, you know, I just make the podcast sound... Like loud and stuff. Loud and good. <laughs> yeah, and I've been doing that since the big eggs. And I love it. And I love these people. And I'm happy to be here. We've had you on to talk about horror before, but we also had you on to talk about Star Trek. <laughs> yes, yes, that was a lot of fun. And I hope to talk about Star Trek some more. I actually geeked out at the last Star Trek day, which was um, just a thing that happened. <laughs> Uh, in August, because it's like the day that the original series came out like a million years ago. Anyways, not to go into that, but my trickiness has increased since then, if that's possible. <laughs> I was just remembering that whenever they released the prequels, there were people in line, I think, for the to see the Star Wars prequels. And there were Star Trek fans that were really upset and mad at them. And they were like... Everybody was cosplaying, but one side was Star Wars and the other side was Star Trek. <laughs> and they were holding up signs and being like, you suck. Star Wars is the worst. Nerd on nerd hate. I love that yeah. so much. I, was, I would pay to see that fight. I know. <laughs> I honestly would. I know. I wonder how long it would last. Not that long. I think like it... I really, I think it would go to the ground in five <laughs> seconds. I think it would just be a pile of nerds crying. But lifts and lightsabers everywhere. Oh my gosh. <laughs> this just makes me think of a fan art I saw once of Captain Kirk kissing Obi Wan. <laughs> that oh, reminds shit. me of that too, and I didn't even know about it. <laughs> so many people would be furious to know that exists. You know what? If you've made that art, please at Bitches from Comics on Twitter and on Instagram. We want the people Cell to prints. see it. That's going to be our new show art. <laughs> Yeah, we're done. We're You know what? You thought we were one kind of pod. We're a whole different one. Get over it. You know what that reminds me of? This is like, I don't know. Bruce Willis was in all those diehard movies. There's one where like he shows up in Kevin Smith's basement and Kevin Smith is like, oh, Boba Fett rules. <laughs> John Buffett goes, I was never into Star Trek. I really prefer Star Wars. <laughs> And Kevin Smith's face, I was like, I just want that frame. That was amazing. Oh, that's what I know about Star Wars versus Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> a movie reference within a movie that none of you have seen. It felt dun, so important. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> well, today we are here to talk about horror and some specific horror movies. Each of us chose a film. They are wild. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I cannot wait to talk about them. We're going to go chronologically. So we're going to start with the oldest film. So I want to, you know, Monica, I'm going to kick it to you. What movie did you choose? Why did you choose it? And then just go off. I can't wait. Awesome. 
So I chose Abby, which is a 1974 black exploitation classic, otherwise known to me as the mixed up files of Monica Estrella Negra. <laughs> um, <laughs> And this movie is quite possibly one of my favorite movies and quite possibly opened me up to the world of horror because when I first found out about this movie, I had no idea that the movie had existed because there's a very specific reason as to why this movie, though it opened up to very good fanfare, why it pretty much was obscured, like scrubbed off the face of the planet, basically. It was called The Black Exorcist when it was first released. And because it was called that, Warner Brothers, our favorite, who are also still making moves in today's <laughs> world. Yeah. <laughs> but not making money. But not making Just money. Losing um, lots of money. Yeah. Decided to sue American International Pictures, which was the film's distributor, and the film director, William Girdler, who was known as a producer of many cult films, like B films or whatever, they sued it because they said that it was copyright infringement. However, the movie, while it did have some elements of possession and whatnot, even the director himself said that, you know, sure, we made Abby to, you know, it may have some elements of The Exorcist, but also the film was inspired by 1968's Rosemary's Baby. However, even though there were many copycats that were made of this movie, this movie is, specific, is specifically special because it features an all-black cast and the story in itself borrows from African traditional spiritual folklore, which makes it even more special in my eyes because there have been so many movies, and especially in the history of Hollywood, that has villainized African spiritual tradition in the way of asserting white supremacy within all of its ideology within horror. African spiritual tradition, uh, African traditional spiritual practice has always appeared in horror movies. I think the first appearance would have been within White Zombie or any type of zombie film that was made probably in like the 1940s, because that also comes from Haitian folklore of the zombie within voodoo practices. And that movie, and though, and that specific trope has always played into anti-blackness when it comes to. Um, what specific horror tropes uh, would align itself with blackness. So blackness in itself is the actual horror of the film, the, the horror of the unknown and the demonic and things of that nature. But Abby is different in a way because they don't necessarily fight the evilness of this African spiritual folklore with white supremacist, like Christian values or whatever. They actually embrace an, an entirely different ideology where they go from... Actually, let me just read you the synopsis. So Abby, who's played by Carol Speed, who actually just recently passed away a couple of months ago, RIP, she plays a woman who is possessed by a Yoruban sex spirit. And the sex spirit, and I put that in quotes, is actually named Eshu. And Eshu is a powerful deity within Yoruba, uh, Yoruban culture. And Yoruban spiritual practice actually comes from Nigeria. And the film opens up with William Marshall, who plays Dr. Garrett Williams, teaching his students about the culture of Nigeria and all of his anthropological studies there. And the story actually starts where he goes on this adventure to Nigeria and he finds this box, which is kind of like a puzzle box. It looks like um, it has the symbols of Eshu and it has an erect phallus on it, like literally a giant penis. And he's talking about how when he opened the box, it unleashes 
this demon. And somehow it finds itself to this woman named Abby, who's this preacher's wife. She's very dainty. She's very sweet. And she's doing everything that she's supposed to be doing right in life in the 70s. And she becomes possessed by the spirit. And what literally happens is that she begins to revolt against everything that she thought was normal. So she was the preacher's wife. So she literally has to put on this facade of being perfect and, you know, being obeying and, you know, having like the cute house and whatnot. And she literally just goes the opposite way. And in in my eyes, I feel like the film is a is commentary on the respectability politics that are placed on Black women as a whole. And in this specific notion that she is a preacher's wife, it also speaks to uh, the Christian indoctrination of Black communities and how that indoctrination that essentially started with enslavement of African peoples on this country as a way of keeping them docile, she literally begins to revolt against that. And I think that in itself is a powerful statement as to, one, the respectability respectability trope of Black women in film as a whole, because I still feel like there's a huge problem with seeing Black women as being messy or being... uh, anti-heroes or anything like that. Like there could only be two extreme sides to being a black woman represented in film. She's either the sassy black friend or she's the very God-fearing, demure woman. Abby rips that entire trope apart. And the fact that it was made in 1974 like blows my mind because I feel like a lot of studies were not focused on the fact that this is like a main interpretation of black women and what they can actually do on the screen. Um, I knew, I knew, I knew that you would drop some knowledge on us. That was amazing. I'm like, oh my God, that's like the best lecture on religion I think I've ever gotten. Yeah, <laughs> and it goes like, so Like so. Um, I spoke at the University of Pittsburgh like a couple years ago and it was about the zombie. And there's actually um, this person named Sarah Juliet Laro who wrote this book and it's all about the transatlantic slave trade and um, zombie culture. And... When movies like White Zombie like came out, the main point of of horror was the idea of blackness as being like this ultimate like demonic energy that was used to terrify, you know, mainly white audiences. And therefore, like the demonization of traditional African spiritual practice like became a norm within horror tropes. Um even in Child's Play, where Chucky uses like voodoo and talks about Dambala, and Dambala is a deity in voodoo practice. Um, that in itself is just like a very scary unknown, which is really funny to me because when I think about movies like The Omen and The Exorcist and like how Catholicism is seen as like, you know, this pure white thing and then like this demon like comes out, like I feel like that's a bit more scarier in essence. <laughs> um and I was actually talking to Sarah about this because I watched the new Omen movie the oh, other yeah. day. And I was just like, <laughs> it's so funny because like it takes like the opening scene like takes place in the Vatican. And like there's like these priests that are like following like the 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 Antichrist star or whatever else. And then they just go on like this whole film montage where they're showing all of these catastrophes happening, like all centered in the U.S. or Europe. Like they show footage from like September 11th and whatever. And they're just like, you know, this is the signaling of the end or whatnot. Um, And I just think that's just really funny because like everything within the end is always within a Western context. Mm -hmm. But I also think it's funny because of Westerns, like because of the Western world's imperialism in Africa, 
and abroad and the damage that was done there to vilify like the actual spiritual practice of the people that you condemned and enslaved to say that we were actually the demons and we were actually the scary ones is like pretty fucking rich, right? So it's just it's just really interesting to me um, how that works. But that's why Abby is also so interesting because there is one prolific scene where she is singing in church. <laughs> and Oh, man. Her husband is giving like this huge sermon, you know, and she just starts to flip out. Like she just like starts cursing and doing all of these. And like people are just like freaking the fuck out. And it just reminds me of being like this weird little goth kid (laughs) and like people just not knowing what the fuck to think of me and how I would just, you know, it was just like the shock value, right? I like to get a rise out of people. So Seeing that scene in particular just reminded me of like how I would go to such lengths to let my elders know that I was not the, you know, the youth that they wanted in their bloodline. Uh, <laughs> and so there's just so many identifying factors, but I definitely identified it with it in, in, the, in the better sense of just like knowing that like my heritage and like my ancestors' heritage, even though they didn't know much of it because it was also stolen from them when they when their ancestors were stolen from their homeland. It's not something to be afraid of, but it's something to be embraced. And even though the film does like end, you know, like with Abby being saved and right. whatnot, spoiler alert, um, but like because like she's being saved and whatnot, the true message to the of the film to me is that I don't think Abby did anything wrong. I think she was just breaking out of the mold of like what our own community placed onto her um, because women really have no choice as far as like what indoctrination series they have to partake in because that is what is expected because it's tradition. And so I think that it was also just a reminder to me that sometimes it is good to like not be that respectable person that sometimes you just have to break free because people are going to always put their opinions on you in the first place. But Mm. I was going to say that the ending is pretty tacked on though, right? Like we have her kind of doing all of this really outrageous stuff for the entire movie (laughs) pretty much after Mm -hmm. like the first 20 minutes or so, right? And then the ending is just like, it's fine. They're fine now. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Right. Yeah. They just like had to wrap it up. And like also (laughs) she was saved to like a man's hand of being like, you need to get out of the juke joint and go back home to your (laughs) husband because she was going around and just like drinking whiskey and listening to jazz (laughs) and she just fucking lost it. And I'm just like, dude, she's like fucking, she's lit. Like that's cool as fuck. Like Drinking whiskey and listening to jazz is like a Thursday for me. So I'm just like, I really appreciate this character. I also love the demon, um, the voice of the demon who's like, oh, my God, is fun and awesome. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I love that guy. But you mentioned that this really resounds with you. And I've noticed there's certain scenes where uh, having known you for a while, I can say like there's this scene that specifically whenever I was rewatching it because I had seen it before I met you. This was my first time rewatching it since I've known you. And whenever uh, Abby is bouncing on the bed and then is just like, <sighs> like opens the eyes and is like, raw, mm-hmm. that I was like, that's Monica. That's mm-hmm. like one of my favorite moods of Monica <laughs> jump mm-hmm. on the bed and being like ha 
Yeah. And the thing is, is um, so Eshu in itself is like also known as the trickster and the guardian mm-hmm. of the crossroads. So Eshu is also very childlike in nature and very playful and likes to stir up shit, essentially. So I think that Carol did like a really good job in embodying that energy. Um, and I, I think that if you don't know much about like uh, Yoruba um, spiritual practice or about a- traditional African spiritual practice, you probably wouldn't recognize some of the deities that are being talked about or some of the characteristics of those deities. Mm-hmm. But for Carol, like she definitely embodied like what the de- uh, deity Eshu um, is supposed to represent. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch. And organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. So why at the end was the... The reverend guy, like, or I guess her father-in-law. Um, why was he like, you're not Eshu, like you're you're some lesser god mm-hmm. or something like that? Was that was he right? Yeah. So actually, Eshu, uh, the demon that was possessing her was actually a wannabe Eshu. Um, oh, okay. And that's why he was like, oh, you know, you have to get out of her because or whatever. Um, because. You're going to piss off Eshu. <laughs> Basically, essentially, yeah. So it was probably uh, what they presumed to be uh, the demon was actually imprisoned 
by Eshu. Oh. And because Eshu is a trickster and like creator of whirlwinds and chaos or whatever, um, it just makes sense that Eshu would just have some like chaotic demons that he just stored away. <laughs> it's just like, you know what? Let's have some fun. I'm going to send out my friends and we're just going to go stir some shit up. And Abby was just the unfortunate person that had to happen to you. <laughs> but I think that she actually got a pretty sweet deal because, I mean, she did get yeah. rid of a lot of annoying people like that one nosy-ass white woman who didn't learn True. her lesson. Oh, so <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, I liked that scene as well. <laughs> you know, there's this moment when she's, you know, they, they are like, oh, no, Abby's sick. We'll take her to the hospital. And they're like, oh, she's mentally ill. She's not mentally ill. Oh. You know, there's sort of like the trappings of that whole pretty typical horror trope of what is mental illness, what is, hey, we're going to talk about that more today, I think. Um, you know, what is perception, reality, what have you. But for me, it was when <laughs> she starts leaving the hospital and she is just straight up knocking people down in the hallway. And they're like, Abby, or they call they call her by her last name, which I can't remember. Mrs. Something, Mrs. Something, Mrs. Something. Where are you going? <laughs> and she goes, I'm going home, bitch. <laughs> and just shoves one of these women like down the stairs. And I was like, that's me. That's me at every... Every event, there's just a moment where that demon takes over me. I'm going home, bitch. Bam, and I'm yeah, out of here. I feel like if you've been, like, mistreated in a medical setting, then, like, that um, scene is, like, very cathartic. Yeah. And also, it's just, you know, another reminder of just, like, you know, the the uh, the woman who rebukes respectability politics is automatically mentally ill where she's hysterical mm -hmm. and I just always as somebody who has multiple mental illnesses I feel like I've always had to deal with that you know so I think it's just really funny to like watch this movie and see her just like push her way up the hospital just pushing like the person down the stairs just like yeah. leave me the fuck alone I'm actually okay though I mean she was technically possessed by a demon but you know what I mean mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, well, she was fine. She was fine. Yeah, even that time when she fucked that guy to death. Actually, those three guys. <laughs> no, but that was fine. You know, people die when they're fucking all the time. It wasn't her fault. That's true. Whatever. Who cares? You know, I also <laughs> think there's, like, it lays this this amazing foundation. I'm glad we started with Abby first because there's just so much rejection of women are weak, women are fragile women need to be protected and helped even though there's like some muddling of that in the conclusion let's all remember it's 1974 right. and even though we now don't get to see the movie at the time they were certainly trying to make something people could watch a lot of times right before everything blew up so there is some caring about oh my god censors kate we're gonna come back to that um and i think that's really interesting because it it just again it's such an incredible film in so many ways and that rejection of you know, it's the rejection of Christianity. It's the rejection of respectability. It's the rejection of that wife role, mm -hmm. right? It's a, what you think I'm a wife. That moment when she said that, do I look like someone's wife? And those guys were like, <laughs> hell no. I was like, oh, I really love that. And so I, I really, I just thought Abby was so rich. Like I'm gonna, have, I'm gonna watch it a million more times and find something new every time. I think. Yeah, and I liked the um, like how part of it is about her, like owning her sexuality mm -hmm. like um the scene where like the demon inhabits her is like very sexual and then it's like she it seems like for the first time she like is owning her sexuality instead of just like having like to just like do what other people expect of her mm -hmm. um so i like 
there were parts of the movie that did feel like the exorcist but then there was also a lot that like didn't so it definitely seems unfair that like this one was like yep and i'm pretty sure we can just thank good old-fashioned racism for that one. I definitely want to have this movie remastered. Um, I know that, like, lots of people have tried to get the rights to this movie, but because of the litigation that happened behind it, it's just so very difficult to obtain the rights for it. Um, But I feel like this movie just needs to get more credit um, because, like I said, there's still... I still have not seen this ultra quote-unquote problematic like black woman in any film that I could possibly think of to this extent um, to where she definitely rebukes all of the tropes that have been put on the black woman within cinema. So I would just ultimately love to see this movie get remastered because all of the copies of it are pretty bad and the sound definitely Mm -hmm. needs remastering. Um, But like I said, because of the litigation behind it, I think it'll be really difficult to get that. I should also mention that this movie was released on Christmas. Yeah. I think that's badass. (laughs) I was going to end on that because I was like, did you know that it was released on Christmas though? (laughs) Merry Christmas. (laughs) It's fucking rad. It is rad. <laughs> I was going to say, too, that the dialogue in this movie is really good. So it would be awesome mm-hmm. to hear it remastered because I think the A, Abby has all of the best lines. Can't yeah. take anything away. Mm-hmm. The person with the best lines is the hero, in my opinion. And I know that that doesn't hold up if you look at pretty much any movie because the villains always have the best lines. But in my mind, <laughs> Abby has the best lines, therefore does nothing wrong in the whole movie. But I would love to hear it remastered. I want to see it remastered. I think that there's a lot that they could do with it. Right. And I, yeah, the dialogue is great, but there are some things that are kind of drowned out because the audio is a bit like flippy, you know, and also mm. the captions are not that great. So who knows? <laughs> well, I hate to do it, but I'm, I think we have to move on to the next film. I am sure we will come back to Abby. I think Abby relates to every film we're talking about today. So um, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. So going chronologically, the next film chosen was the one chosen by me. And that's Ginger Snaps. That's from 2000. Whoop, whoop. And yes, Ginger Snaps is about some werewolves. But really, it's about two sisters, Ginger played by Catherine Isabel, who became just a genre queen, and Bridget, played by Emily Perkins, also a genre queen. And they live in this small town, and they're like, we're the Suicide Sisters. Like, we're gonna, we're uh, dead on the scene or out by 16, is like they're they're saying. Um, Because, you know, they're 90s kids. They're depressed. They're goth. It's the right move. And then... They don't get their periods when normal, I'm using scare quotes, girls do. So they're old and it's weird. And then one night, Ginger gets her period. And what else should happen? But a werewolf strikes and attacks her. And it is her sister Bridget who saves her. But wait, something's wrong. Ginger's not acting quite like she used to. It's a great werewolf movie. I'm like, you know what? Werewolves, werewolves, werewolves. When I watch a werewolf film, I am looking for, like, what makes this its own distinct lore? And I got to say, the titties on the werewolf really, really make Ginger Snaps stand (laughs) out. (laughs) That was the deciding factor. That's the one. The absolute teats. 
Aren't there like six of them too? It's like wolf two titties. Wolf titties. And four of them are not in a bra. So I'm like, how did she decide which to put in the bra? Like, I put four bras on Betty for modesty. <laughs> you know what? That was a lot of titties. It's a lot of titties. <laughs> okay, so I had never seen Ginger Snaps. Um, I chose it because it was one of those films that's like been on my list to watch for forever. And I was like, oh, you know what? I'm going to watch Ginger Snaps. I'll choose that for our movie. I regret nothing. I think it's a plus film. I uh, love that it makes me deeply uncomfortable at various points. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, you know, for you all, when did Ginger Snaps come into your life? Oh, man. High school. And it was my jam. <laughs> yeah. Mostly because, I yeah, I was, you know, I am that sad 90s kid that was depressed, Essie. Um, As I was saying it, I was like, I think I'm describing Monica. Yeah, <laughs> so actually, funny story, um, and I think it's funny, but um, me and my other group of sad, depressed lesbians mostly, um, we were really obsessed with this movie. Like, we watched it every time we hung out with each other. And as one of my uh, end-of-year art school projects, I was like, why don't we make our own suicide death pictures? And we actually recreated no our own suicide photos. And I still oh, have them so if you'd cool. like to see them. It's actually <laughs> Can really you please? funny. I would really like to see them. Yes. That's amazing. We did it at my friend's Nicole's house. And her dad was like super Catholic. And he had a whole room just filled with Catholic saints. And we... <laughs> did a bunch of stage death photos in that holy room. And um, yeah, I can share the photos with you. But yes, Ginger Snaps was a very big part of my teenage years. And it's so like, it's so like queer and bi and weird, Mm -hmm. right? Like, oh man, when she looks at her sister and she's like, do you wanna? We're barely related anymore. (laughs) I was like, Ginger, you nasty bitch. I love it. Gross. I forgot about that part almost. <laughs> Incest. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah it's so me. weird. And we'll we'll talk about that with Stoker because I was like, <laughs> yeah, I was like, what around. is that also happened. happening? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There were a lot of those moments. Oh man, I wish it had that kind of history with with uh, gender snaps. I I watched it much later in life, but I fucking love it. Yeah. Yeah. I only watched it um like recently because um, I watched it for this podcast. And then um, when I was watching it, I was like, I'm so glad I wasn't the only person who chose a movie that has incest. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my, I'm going to be, I'm going to go, you know what? The difference is Priya. <laughs> I didn't know mine had incest. <laughs> I'm just calling you. I'm just teasing. You know, I probably would have chosen it on the list. It also gives me big Jennifer's body vibes. Yeah. Like, I like that it's about Ginger Snaps like, where it's like. It gives me big like uh, all cheerleaders must die vibes. Yeah. Oh my God. I haven't seen that. It's like a Lucky McKee, isn't it? Oh, Yeah. Yeah, there's like this scene where she's walking down the hallway and she's like all, I just got my period and I may be a werewolf. No, she is a werewolf at that point. You know, she's turning and she's like walking through the hallway and everyone like suddenly notices her. You know, she's all like, feels like hot, hot shit. Yeah, there's this scene just like that in All Cheerleaders Must Die, but they're like three girls and they're like all fucking undead at this point. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that kind of scene because Jennifer's body dead on has the same scene. I had totally forgotten about it. That like pink shirt with the red hearts that she wears and like the short oh, yeah. shirt. Or the skirt, mm-hmm. and she's just like pounding her feet down the hall. 
hallway while everyone else is mourning. <laughs> what a bitch. I love her so much. Yeah. I love mm-hmm. those vibes. That's good. That's good shit right there. Yeah. What, what? I don't know what it is, but apparently being a werewolf really gives your hair volume. You know, you get the lift you're missing without it. Maybe it's, you get a double coat kind of thing. I don't know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm here for it. I also love redheads as one. And so, of course, I was like, oh, this movie's perfect. No notes. A redhead in charge done. Oh, and don't forget about Mimi. Mimi Rogers. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yes. Her mom. Love it. Yeah, she she was perfect as a Canadian suburban <laughs> mom. When she is like... I will get you kids in this car right now and we will leave. And she's like, what about dad? She's like, he wouldn't understand. He'd just blame me. They all would. Like, you know your kids killed a girl. You were just I fine love when she it. like is figuring out that her daughter's committed murder and she has these like cute Halloween earrings. It just it just makes it perfect. Yeah. I just love the period talk at the table and the dad's just like mortified. He's just like, we're eating. See, that's one of my favorite things about this movie is the fact that like there's so much period shit in it. And it's like that never happens in movies. Mm -hmm. Especially not werewolf movies, right? Too. (laughs) Which it ought to because that makes Makes sense. It makes sense. The full moon, werewolves. Like I always Uh say like, oh, I'm going to turn into a werewolf soon because I know that I'm going to be on the rack. we're talking about. If any agents out there are listening, I did just write a novel about this. <laughs> oh, shit. That's right. What? That's the other reason I chose Ginger Snaps. I just wrote an, a novel about a trans werewolf who's facing their period with a Shameless fear. self-promotion. Sounds great. Fuck yeah. <laughs> I am on. You know what? No one else is doing it. <laughs> I'll be a beta if you want. I'll read it. Hot. Give me your shit. Oh, that kind of beta. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, beta wolf. Damn. Yeah. I see your head is in the sexy wolf game. Mm -hmm. You know what? I've been watching a lot of Teen Wolf, too, and they're big into Alpha Beta, and I'm like, this is hot. (laughs) And everyone's like, this is straight. And I'm like, what part of this is straight? (laughs) That guy is clearly having sex with that guy, which is great. That guy is having sex with that guy and that girl and that guy. Also great. Everyone's like, that literally never happened. And I'm like, well, it did to me. It did to me. Third eyes not opened. (laughs) Losers. (laughs) One of the things I really liked about Ginger Snaps is, um, like, the emphasis on her, like, removing her body hair. Like, I just think that is Mm. um, really interesting because, like, so often, like, in werewolf movies and things, like, it's a male werewolf. So Mm -hmm. that isn't so much of an issue. But I like that it's, like, she has to, like, constantly um, shave herself, like, just to like fit beauty standards, I thought it was very interesting. Yeah, yeah, that was well, great. and there's there's two sequels to, to Ginger yep. Snaps at least. I think there might be more. And I watched the second one, which heads in a whole direction. You're like, what the yeah. fuck? And features a very young Tatiana Maslany, and she is so cute. And mm, I'm not going to say any more words. You have to watch it. <laughs> People were like, I don't know if the sequel is very good. And I was like, it's a sequel. What do you want? And it's just like Bridget shaving a ton though, Priya. Yeah. Like, that's like the real start mm-hmm. of it is like that shaving, bleeding from cutting yourself, periods. It's like you take it to the next level with the other sister. Super duper fun. I actually thought it was outstanding. Okay, I'm going to watch the third one for Halloween because I'm like, whatever. I love, I love garbage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So even if it's bad, I'll enjoy it. Yeah, Ginger Snaps was very delightful. I was like, I 
too am outraged at the expectations on my body. I too am angry because I have to have a period. I too, you know, that's how I felt watching the whole thing. So mm. thank you for watching with me, friends. It's wonderful. Has anybody watched a uh, company of wolves? It's like an eighties no. werewolf movie. Put it on the list. I'm going to say put that one on the list for sure, for sure. Because that one's in the 80s. I believe that Angela Lansbury's in it. Definitely, it's a werewolf story. It takes kind of a Red Riding Hood theme, but from Red Riding Hood's perspective, essentially. And um, it's great. I think everybody should see it. If you enjoyed Ginger Snaps, then you would definitely love that movie. Booyah. Awesome. One of the things I just noticed in this movie was... It's just that there was this double standard of telling after sex, you know, like you're a dude and you tell after you have sex, you tell everybody and it's like, you know, well, there's, this is a super trope, but hopefully it doesn't exist anymore. But, um, and then, you know, if you're a girl that says you had sex, you're a slut. Right. But Mm -hmm. so there was also this like flip of that when it was like, he was in the car and he's like, I'm the guy, you know, like, oh my God, I love that scene. She's like, I'm the guy. (laughs) She's like, you're the guy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh. God, I loved that. I love anything that, like, this happened in Abby, too. Anything that mixes, like, sex with, like, an unending appetite, like, from a feminine sort of or, like, a female character's perspective, I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. my God, that's so good. It's so interesting because it's such a unacceptable thing in our society, you know? So, mm-hmm. oh, and I love that, like, there's this constant threat of, like, men I think the film is a little bit uh, two-dimensional in that regard, where it's like, oh, this this guy, oh, no, was he hitting on your sister? Oh, no, is the janitor going to rape your sister? Oh, no, is this guy going to, you know, and, like, I say it in that tone because I'm like, he was a man of color. Like, I'm not really clear that, like, he did anything creepy or lechy. So there's oh, the, a weird I don't think the dynamic. janitor did anything. I think that was, like... Because before it was like all these people that had pissed her off, you know, and it was like, oh, yeah. she murdered them and that's fine. But murder the janitor, like he didn't do shit to you. Like this is fucked up. Yeah, it feels like she's just trying to create um, excuses like to indulge like her um, appetite for violence. Mm. And like they just mm-hmm. keep getting flimsier and flimsier because like she's not actually doing it like because it is right. She just is doing it because she wants to. I thought it was more so that she was upset that the janitor actually treated Bridget in a non-sexual manner, whereas all of her interactions with other men were very hypersexualized, and that's why she wanted Mm. to kill him, because she was still jealous of Bridget's, like, so-called innocence, because she wasn't being uh, sought after because of, like, her hypersexuality, or that she was seen as being hot or anything like that. Because they did just have, like, a sweet rapport, you know? So... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I really like that read. I hadn't that hadn't occurred to me, but I really like that. Yeah, I I think what's really exciting in Ginger Snaps is that even if you do want to root for Ginger, because like I do, I'm like, yeah, go kill everybody. You're a werewolf. That rules. Like it's clear that she's dealing with some justifications, some jealousy. Like it's nice to play the jealousy the opposite direction, the way that you just talked about it, Monica. Because I think that the obvious read is Bridget being jealous of Ginger because Ginger gets her period and becomes a werewolf. She's got the bounce in her hair, mm-hmm. the shine on her face. All the boys are into it. She's into it. And Bridget's, you know, like greasy hair and like dowdy and like everyone's like, oh, this sullen Bridget. And it's easy to see the read where Bridget's a little bit jealous of, or a lot jealous of Ginger. But the the reverse of that is really an interesting read it, for the whole film. I really, really like that, Monica. That's that's good shit. Yeah, because I like to think that when I caught my period, I was really upset because um, I 
when I was a teenager, I was a bit, I was like, I started developing a lot faster and I got boobs and everything else. And I actually hated the idea that I was starting to capture male attention. I like the fact that I did not have tits before I got my period and I was able to just, you know, exist without any kind of sexual attention. And I think, and I think that, uh, especially like cis male attention, you know, so like, and not having to be like very hyper aware of my body and then like having family members tell me that I couldn't wear certain clothes because it was exposing too much. Yeah. And just having like that wish of like being like very prepubescent and having like that so-called quote unquote innocence before like the cis male gaze like turned me into a sexual object. So that's what I took from it is just that Ginger was upset that because she caught her period, she was thrust back and she was thrust into this world where her and her sister had like this secret world where they were able to engage in art and not have like all of this other shit like affecting their lives and like having so-called womanhood like thrust upon her because womanhood quote unquote can be just as scary as turning into a werewolf in itself <laughs> totally mm -hmm. yeah I'm like all of that plus non-binary feels mm -hmm. <laughs> very confusing and upsetting mm -hmm. yeah I think that's what I liked about it too is like I think fundamentally, while it is a conversation about things that we 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 interpret as feminine, it felt like a a character pushing against femininity mm -hmm. while sort of parroting it. Mm -hmm. You know, she she puts on the outfit. She's got the fucking werewolf teats. Oh my fucking god! You know, she's got like the short the 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 sexy outfit, and like people still want to fuck her. And I think like especially with the everything you've added here, Monica, which is, again, fantastic. I think, you know, there's this layer of, like, she she almost has to kill them for having seen her as this feminine sex object mm -hmm. where she's like, you don't get it. Like, I'm a fucking werewolf, mm -hmm. you know? And, like, ah, that's the kind of film I was made for. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I love that, um, like, the movie isn't afraid to make her look weird as she becomes more werewolfy. Oh, yeah. Like, she doesn't have to be um, hot. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Like, I like that, like, she gets kind of, like, weird and wrinkled. And then, like, in the end, she's, like, very grotesque looking. But, like, even when she is more, like, human looking, it's, like, like, it's, it's interesting. Like, she, she doesn't look repulsive, but she doesn't look, like, attractive. Yeah. I'm also just shocked nobody mentioned the pissing blood scene. <laughs> of the jock kid. I don't think I remember it. The jock kid, he like, uh, Ginger like hooked up with him or whatever. And he thought that he was just like, yeah, I finally oh! conquered it. And then he just starts pissing blood. It's so <laughs> fucking good. It is yeah, hilarious. I, I totally love that forgot scene. about him, but you're so right. That whole character is amazing because he's like, oh, I'm a badass. It's like, no, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm glad you brought that up. I had completely spaced it. Hey there, listeners. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Bitches on Comics, the podcast that keeps on going. It just won't die. But today, we want to talk to you about another project that we refuse to let die, which is Decoded Pride. This is our annual Pride Month anthology that we do. But actually, right now, we've got the full color PDF available for purchase. Our professionally designed, beautifully laid out, queer as fuck, trans as fuck, 
PDF is available for issue two. We also have issue one's PDF available as well. So if you haven't read that yet, get your little grubby mitts on it. You're going to be so happy. You can check out both issues and make a quick purchase, support some independent queer and trans creators. Some you say 30 an issue, in fact, at decodedpride.com. And we are going to be keeping that PDF up and available forever. So please come buy it. Please support independent queer art. Again, it's decodedpride.com, $14.99 an issue to help support independent queer and trans creators to tell the stories they want to tell, to create the comics they want to create, and to work together to lift up speculative fiction that is queer and trans. And I did drawings for it. <laughs> drawings? <laughs> They're amazing. The drawings are amazing. They're not drawings. They're beautiful, beautiful art. I did an art. Oh, okay. Well, I'm sure we'll come back to both Ginger Snaps and Abby, but let's move forward in time 13 years to 2013 and the film Stoker. Priya, this was your film. Tell us about it. Yep. Okay. So um, Stoker is... A film about an 18-year-old girl whose dad was killed on her birthday. And in the aftermath of the funeral, her uh, mysterious uncle, who she's never met before, comes to live with them, like with her and her mom at their like huge like gothic house. And uh, the uncle starts sort of like seducing her mom, but also um, like sort of her as well. And, like, the main character, her name is India. She's always been, like, kind of weird and not fitting in with other kids. And uh, by, like, observing, like, her uncle and stuff, she's, like, started to, like, develop an appetite for violence. Um, And so she just becomes more violent, I guess. And, like, her uncle manipulates her. But she finds her agency. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I became interested in this movie first because, like, I was reading, like, stuff that Wentworth Miller had written because I really liked him on Legends of Tomorrow. Yep. <laughs> um, Ooh, he's, he's such a babe, too. Wentworth Miller. I was I like, am not Wentworth his type, Miller? but he is my type. I had to double <laughs> check. And then I was like, oh, <laughs> it is him. Yes. Yeah. So, like, I think he's best known as an actor, but he also wrote this movie. I think it was the first screenplay that he wrote. And <gasps> Oh, man. What a weirdo. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> and it Sorry. got turned into a movie. Um, and I just really um, enjoy this movie because it just, it feels very, like, indulgent and extravagant. It's like, we're going to throw all these, like, gothic tropes at you, and you're just going to enjoy it. And I also feel like the movie sort of, uh, I, like, in my head, I call it a gay autism revenge thriller. Um, (laughs) So Wentworth Miller is um, gay and autistic, and, like, I don't know, like, how much of, like, that experience he was, like, consciously channeling into writing this movie, but, like, it does, like, resonate on both of those levels, I think, because it's about these people who are, like, sort of treated differently by their friends and family and don't quite fit in and um, sort of how they react to, like, sort of being, um, like, shoved to the side or just being like who they are, even though I guess like who they are is like Slightly killing people. Terrible. Yeah. 
I'm just going to jump in there because Priya, what I loved is like, this is like in some ways it's a, a Dexter, right? Like there's, oh no, you're a murderer and you're going to murder and we have to channel your murder some ways. But where Dexter's dad is like, let's kill some people. <laughs> Which is like, what the fuck? Stoker, the dad is like, let's learn to hunt. Which I'm not saying is not also murder, but does seem like a different kind of killing, <laughs> which I thought was really a nice take, actually. Yeah. All I could think about while watching this movie was Nicole Kidman's AMC movie advertisement. I was like, <laughs> right? how does this movie compare to her Oscar winning performance of that <laughs> movie trailer? Because I don't know. I was very, very troubled. Um <laughs> Yeah. No, um, if anything, Nicole Kidman always is really good at playing a messy, drunk, like, lovelorn housewife. I'm just like, I feel like she just does this too naturally. I don't know. That's what I realized about this movie was because I was just like, yes, this is a, it's a takeoff basically of Shadow of a Doubt. Have you all seen that movie? It's like an old Hitchcock film. Um, it's like one of his lesser known ones. I think it's the one that he chose as his favorite, but there's very much like an uncle Charlie, you know, there's like a teen girl who's Mm -hmm. manipulated. Like there's like, there's a lot of, um, like nods to it, I guess. And I was thinking about that. And then I was like, you know what, honestly, like whatever happens in this story, it doesn't matter because what I've learned about myself is I will show up to messy, drunk, rich mom, Nicole Kidman anytime like I'm just here for it yeah she's great in the movie I love um there's a scene where like I think she is brushing her daughter's hair yeah and like usually that sort of thing would be like like intimate and like um loving but there's such a tension in it because like there is not really love there and so it's very interesting yeah her their lines to each other are absolutely incredible the scene where she's like you were supposed to love me, right? (laughs) It's just like, why? You don't seem to like her very much. (laughs) The whole thing, I loved their relationship. And of course, I think that ultimately, like, you know, Uncle Charlie is this uh, threatening figure throughout the entire thing, right? But he just kind of shows how dysfunctional the mother-daughter relationship kind of always was. But still mm-hmm. reveals kind of like a hidden love between them. I wouldn't even put it like I, love seems like a weird word, but an acknowledgement, I guess, of one another. Um, mm, yeah, they were the most interesting. I think I loved the dynamic between those two. Yeah, I also really like. There's a part where India is going to like put ice cream in the freezer, and it's like a very large freezer. And it's like, there's no body in it, but like, you know that there's going to be a body yeah. in it yeah. at just some wait. point. I just love Chekhov's that. gone. You know, some <laughs> good foreshadowing, yeah. This is where the body's going. It. Everyone's like, I've seen horror. There's another part where Uncle Charlie is like digging in the dirt and he says something like, this is, he says, he makes some comment about it being like good for digging. And then like later that comes back because they bury the body. <laughs> and so that's just really fun. So is every single, like, cement ball on the property a dead body or what? <laughs> hmm. Is that what we are left to believe? Because they zoom yes. out and there's, like, these spheres all over the place. That's what it's I like, took from it, Kate. Oh. That's what I okay. took. There's just dead bodies all over the property. Yeah, uh, I didn't I catch that. Murder. I didn't catch that either. 
and Nicole Kidman trying to maintain and just getting shit wasted all day. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, it seems weird here. People keep going missing. I don't know. <laughs> what can you do? Let's go for a car drive. Let's go get some ice cream. <laughs> Yeah, she was leaving. She was out of there. She was like, I'm not staying at this fucking mansion. It would suck to live with a family like that. And like, oh my God, it's so tense. And, and so like, isolated, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. that's so isolated. Where you're like, I think of um, Eyes Without a Face, right? Where it's like the horror of it. There's all of these like graphically horrific things happening in that movie. But in the end, the, the scariest part is, is that she's stuck in a house with her dad, right? Um, And that was kind of how this was, too, a little bit. Mm -hmm. Can we talk about the weird sex stuff? Oh, sure. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I was expecting you to be the one to take us there, honestly. (laughs) Oh, God. Just insight into my brain. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. You know, I was like, oh, my God. This girl's fucked up. She's (laughs) masturbating to that guy's broken neck. Like, that's. That's pretty fucked up. And I love, but I thought it was actually ended up, I was like, this seems gratuitous and weird. And then I got to the end and I was like, it was necessary and plot relevant. <laughs> it really was. Um, you know, like, that's just me watching anything. I'm like, this is weird. I don't like it. Then I get to the end. I'm like, God damn it. It was perfect. <laughs> and, you know, it's like that, you know, she, <laughs> okay, we're going to talk about spoilers. It's from 2013. Get over it. You know, <laughs> it's the end. Matthew Good is choking Nicole Kidman to death. <laughs> Oh my and this girl was like watching it, just like sitting there, and you're like, "That fucking girl is gonna let him kill her mom, and then what? She's gonna marry her brother? Like, what the fuck am I supposed to think of this?" And then she shoots him in the face, and I was like, "Ah, fucking so Priya, good movie, Priya." <laughs> I watched it alone at like one in the morning in bed next to my partner, and I was like, "Okay, maybe I'm just..." a fool but i was like stoker this will be a vampire movie i love vampires let's do it and we got into it and i was like where are the vampires <laughs> I, I kept waiting for something vampire to happen i mean everyone was right we were all waiting for something vampire to happen i saw the hitchcock movie so not really but <laughs> oh okay so sorry, i was I like sorry, this no. is like a broiling murder mystery and it's not that much of a mystery <laughs> I looked at the cover, like, I looked at the poster wrong, and I didn't think she was holding a pencil in her hand. I thought she had, like, a prosthetic with a point, and I was like, oh, what's this steampunk vampire movie? (laughs) And I was like, oh, That pencil plays a part. Ooh. I mean, that ending, A-cab, yes. That was fun, yeah. That was pretty sweet, yes. What a beautiful murder scene, too. It's like you really only get them every now and again, right? Where she's talking to him and she's like, hey, officer, I was just hoping to get your attention. And then he leans in a little bit and poof, like right through the eye. This guy is. you dead. Definitely like goes crawling through a cornfield. And I felt like about the last from that moment on, this movie was just here. It was rule of cool, like the whole time. (laughs) Like it was just like we're ending on a murder scene and it's going to be absolutely beautiful. And it is like they, he goes crawling through the cornfield. She follows him with um, a weapon. I don't remember, but you see the splatters of blood, right. That are like going. It's the pencil. It's still this pencil. 
That pencil. That pencil gets a workout. She is getting more out of that number two (laughs) pencil than I have ever gotten out of a number two pencil. And I draw a lot. So that is saying something. But she's like going to town on this cop and like the the blood is splattering over the flowers. Yeah, I love that because it's these white flowers and then the blood splashes them and makes them red. Yeah. I just think that's so gorgeous. And the song The whole is movie was beautiful. It, it's like, a beautifully honestly, shot film, yeah. It's just like a kind of sumptuous to watch. Mm-hmm. The, that's you that's know, the right Moisture word. dripping yeah. off of the things, all slow-mo and stuff. There's a lot of things like that. Well, it's like very that. sexy and mm-hmm. then very incesty <laughs> and very beautiful. And then you're like, Am, what? This is me at two in the morning just going, what the f- <laughs> what the goddamn fuck is happening? He's wearing Matthew the Good, pants. You sexy bitch. Of the brother that are too big for him. There's like all of this like mm. allegory to it that's really mm-hmm. fun. I can't. It's too My belt would have been too, too small to strangle people to death with. I'm glad I took your father's. <laughs> and you're just like, this is great. <laughs> like, uh, thanks, Uncle Charlie. I mean, you're okay. really set up. That's like a terrible, yeah. Anyway, this guy. And his big pants, his two big pants. Yeah, I, I'm not even sure I would consider it a good movie, but I really like it. And I'm glad you guys enjoyed it, too. I had fun. Oh, it's a <laughs> fucking weird yeah. movie. I thought it was beautifully shot. That's what caught my attention for the yeah. most part. The angles yeah. are really good, right? Because mm-hmm. you'll have mm-hmm. these scenes where when she's feeling smaller in the beginning... The way that they shoot her changes throughout the movie, which is really interesting to watch, right? Because there's scenes in the beginning where she's standing underneath him on the staircase. There's mm-hmm. scenes where he's looking down on her. There's scenes where she enters the room and she sees him and her mother flirting at the piano. And <clears throat> she's in the bottom left of the screen and, uh, you know, like covered in water, like rainwater, you know, looking very small. And then as the movie goes along, she looks like a like bigger presence. Yeah, because she's like coming into her own by killing people, <laughs> which sometimes that's OK. That happens sometimes. You had to <laughs> with your family, kid, you know, God bless your little villanelle out here. One last thing I want to mention is that the singer Mitski, who I really like, she released a song that's like based on this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, what? It's called It's called Stay Soft, and the music video like heavily references the film, and mm. I love it because I think a lot of Mitski fans who don't know this movie, they just think it's like a song, Cute but song. it's it's about this movie. <laughs> what? Okay, I know that song. I have to go listen to it again now. Priya, that was good shit right there. Mm-hmm. What I was going to say was, I never know what I'm going to get when Priya recommends something <laughs> to me. <laughs> because it might be incest murder stoker, and it might be a Christian werewolf novel. <laughs> I do not know what's going to happen. And I love it. It makes it very unpredictable and fun. I was like, Stoker, this will be a nice midnight watch. <laughs> Put you right to sleep. What is that? <laughs> it was delightful. I'm so glad it's time to talk about the movie that I chose. The one that is me. It is Good Manners 2017. <laughs> Welcome to the Sarah Century podcast, where I talk about (laughs) movies that I like that have gay stuff and our art house. So this movie I watched, um, I'm going to say maybe on Shudder or something. It was certainly, certainly at two o'clock in the morning. I have consistently throughout my life watched 
tons of horror movies. I'll go to sleep for like two hours and then I'll wake up, have be like, you know, what am I going to do? Wander around my apartment and or I want to put on a horror movie. So I'm pretty sure it happened in one of those kind of states, which is fitting because this movie is really dreamy just in general. There's a lot of beautiful scenes, absolutely gorgeous cinematography. And it is about a woman <laughs> named Clara who takes on a job that, you know, like, God bless, right? Like, it is a job where even the interview, you're like, how is this going through? She ends up working as a, is it nanny, I guess, is like what her job ends up being? I mean, she ends up doing everything mm -hmm. for this person, right? She's like a She's night like nurse. She's like a night nurse that works all of the time. Night nurse. But a day yeah. nurse. She's an always she's nurse. An always nurse. I think they're like, oh, be a nanny. And then she's like, I'll go ahead and clean your kitchen. Um, but like this person, the mom, right, is a pregnant woman. And she's like, my family has all this money and everything. I'm like a rich person. However, she's in fact not a rich person because she took off. Like she left like her husband. She or, like she had an affair. They wanted her to get in, like, get the kid, like, have an abortion or whatever. She refused. She didn't want to do it. She wants to have the kid, carry the kid to term, right? So Clara kind of comes in on this situation and starts being like, hey, have you noticed that, like, I'm not getting paid at all? Like, could you do something about that? And Anna is like, yeah, of course, but can't because um, not only does she have the family troubles, but she has she's going to give birth to a werewolf, right? So... She has this baby werewolf, <laughs> but it dies, right? So there's like this kind of moment where the movie just kind of becomes a different movie, I feel like, because in the beginning, they're kind of setting up this dynamic between these two, and uh, they have kind of, um, like, I would say a romance. I think it qualifies <laughs> as a romance as kind of an interesting dynamic. We'll get into it. But this other part of the movie is Clara has this child that she wants to ditch and run away from. And then she's just like, well, she doesn't have the child, right? Is Anna's child who she dies during childbirth. Clara takes over and is like, okay, I'm going to do away with this kid. Then I'm going to take off, live the life of my dreams far away from here. Instead, <laughs> this little baby werewolf makes baby werewolf face at her. And she's like, oh, my God, it's so cute. So instead, she names him Joel and raises him as her own child. And uh, it kind of catches up with him whenever he's around seven years old. So they have this whole arc where they're it's basically Clara's trying to protect Joel and trying to protect everybody, I guess, but mostly Joel as kind of the parental figure and keeps uh, trying to instill this uh, system, you know, like you can't do werewolf things. I will lock you in the room, you know, during the full moon. And he puts him in chains and everything. And ostensibly, of course, this is to keep him safe. But uh, I think like the biggest strength of the movie is, is that you can't keep people safe, right? Like people are going to do what they're going to do. It's kind of the same as Anna, right? Like Anna was just like, I'm leaving this life of luxury because I can't imagine not carrying this child to term. So she does, but it's like what brings about her end. And then uh, Clara and Joel go through this whole, you know, story arc where it's essentially the same thing. 
she loves Joel very much and then is also kind of scared of Joel because who wouldn't be? It's like a baby werewolf. Lots of bad things happen, but I think that that's kind of like the primary theme of it, right? So I love it because of that. Like, I think that all of the best moments in my life are when I am trying too hard and I'm trying to make things adhere to a rule system. And then at a certain point, you're like, not only do I not get to decide what the rules are, <laughs> like I can't, you know, no one person does, but also you can't control things. You can't control your werewolf baby, <laughs> like from, you can't make that baby not be a werewolf. So at a certain point, you kind of have to decide if you're along for the ride or not. And Clara decides that she is. And they have it has like the most beautiful ending. It's just an absolutely gorgeous movie. So it has all of the things I love, sad, gay, beautifully shot werewolves. <laughs> scary is still scary, even though it's mostly like beautiful. It's more beautiful, right? Oh, it's very But it's scary, like terrifying. Though. There's so many scary parts. People die, you know, but it's very sympathetic. So I think that that's kind of the thing that I loved was I was like relating to that main character and being like, yes, so often I will, you know, there will be times where you try, times in your life where you try to do something good. And at a certain point, you're like, I don't think this is good anymore because I'm just like trying too hard or something. But it takes a long time to start realizing that, right? So I think that that was a character that I loved a lot. And I loved everything that she was going through and dealing with through the movie. Did everybody else like it? <laughs> yes, I love this movie. Yeah. yeah. I love that it's two okay. movies. <laughs> yeah, it's two movies. I think all of us, when we watched it, we were like, oh, this is a very Sarah-centric movie. <laughs> yeah. Sarah, I yeah. said that you wrote this novel at some point. That's what it seems like, right? Because I was like, this char- yeah. this central character, it's like, through the whole thing, I don't see a single moment when she's not essentially trying to do the right thing. Like, she's trying to be a mm-hmm. good person and a helpful person. And it doesn't matter. You can go through your life trying at every turn to do the right thing, and you're still going to fuck up all over the place. Like, you can't. That's the thing. It's like you can't control it. Like at a certain point, you kind of have to be like, I don't know. (laughs) Like, Joel, my werewolf baby is just going to be a werewolf sometimes, y'all. And she had to come to that reality, too. And at the end, the only thing that she could do was be like, okay, you know, eat me if you want to. But like, I don't know what else to do. You know, I think that was that a line where she's like, I don't know what else to do. You know, she just like put up her hands and like. But then by that point, it's like, is it too late? And it ends on this question mark. And you're like, okay. And they stand against the lynch mob together. Like, there's all these. Yeah, they do. Hand in hand. She takes the little werewolf boy's hand. Yeah. That's really beautiful. That was the part. Yeah. Yeah. That was the part. That's the thing Mm -hmm. that messes me up. Because I'm just like, that's it, right? Like, that's uh, this movie. The way that it, it encapsulated too much of my feelings. (laughs) where I was like no kidding because like at a certain point you're just like you're all fucked up but like you're my friend you know (laughs) like I have to help you and I'm gonna try to join with you you know like let's fight because guess who's worse than you for sure is like this mob of people outside who are trying to kill you like you know Mm -hmm. my favorite part of the movie is um before Anna has the baby and she's um she like won't eat anything and um Clara is making her spaghetti and she cuts her hand and like puts some of her own blood in the spaghetti and then like she doesn't tell Anna but then she eats it and (laughs) I just think that's so beautiful um I that really captivated me 
Yeah, honestly, that I, I wrote that down. I was like, my favorite part is when she puts her blood in the spaghetti because to me, I'm wondering, like, why is Clara doing this? Is she doing it because she's, like, really giving and wants her to have her blood? Or is she just curious if she's, like, thirsty when she's also lucid and not just in the nighttime, you know? Like, it's kind of this test, like, feeding her blood. Mm-hmm. I like the creepy nighttime scenes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The creepy, sexy, bloody, bitey. Yeah, like weird sex stuff is what I've learned from our conversations. <laughs> there is some weird sex stuff. Yeah. Learned is a lie. I knew this already about myself. Uh, yeah, no, I, you know, I texted Sarah like as I was watching it because I got like forty minutes in, and I was it was right before the big yeah. turn, and I was like. I think that my partner would love this. Sarah, do you think Emily would like this? And Sarah was like, oh, my God, Emily would love this. I was like, okay, 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 okay. So I I saw the first 40 minutes twice. And it, the second time through, knowing what was coming, I was just like, every frame is perfect. Every frame is thought out and intentional. Oh, my God. You know what my fucking favorite part is? Is the way that they showed the passage of time by the growth of the vegetation outside of her shitty Mm -hmm. apartment. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. actually my favorite part of the entire film. (laughs) It was just beautiful and it's symbolic right there's this feckin' growth in her life with with joelle uh i i was like <laughs> she's like his name is so beautiful joelle and i was like oh in english joel. it's just joel <laughs> not so mm-hmm. sexy but joelle uh you know the growth of joelle and, and clara's life and clara's literal hair growth you know all of the pieces it was just such a beautiful simple moment and I think the other favorite part I have is that it's two films, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, it's the before and then the after of this moment. And I love the sort of breakdown of how those two things happen. <sighs> I love that they love this kid. I There's just like so much about it. Because in the end, she chooses the kid just the same way as Anna did, right? So there's a lot to it, I think. There, and also, this is a movie where every part of it is beautiful. So like, it's hard for me to say, is there a, a perfect part? Because I think that this is a perfect movie. I love the way that it does change. I love the way that this movie keeps me on my toes. I definitely didn't expect it to turn out the way that it did. But it was one of those things, if if you will, pull to Sarah's century, where at the end, it's just like, and punch to the chest. Now you're crying. <laughs> and I love that. That's like always what I love so much in movies. And I think that this movie just nailed it. Like every part of it is great. Wonderful protagonist, like such a great protagonist who's like try just trying to live life, honestly, like at so many parts. And it's like, that's not, it can't be that simple for you. You got to understand. Well, the first third, you know, the first act really made me I was like, this has big parasite vibes. Yeah. Like, you know, like the the different, the power differential, the sort of, you know, the layers of attraction, the sort of faking out to get things. And then it was just like exploded from there. And I was like, oh my God, this fuck, this is my, this is my favorite werewolf movie. Easily. Yeah. One thing that I really appreciated about it is that it is a horror movie that like doesn't demonize lesbianism because like it does have some parts where like the werewolfiness of Anna is sort of um like combined with like her attraction Mm -hmm. to Clara but then it also I feel like their love is not like 
portrayed as inherently bad. Right. And I, like, I was surprised that, like, I actually, like, that stood out to me because, like, it should be kind of um, standard. <laughs> but I guess in horror movies so much, like, it's not. So I just really like that. And the conformity is straight up the villain of the story. Like, there's something just really mm-hmm. great about that where the people who are trying to make it be a different way kind of end up being so much more the villain than anybody else. Mm. Mm. Good manners. Good shit, more like. <laughs> <laughs> I was really annoyed by the landlady. <laughs> yes. Singing her little fucking song. Yeah. Stealing her goddamn microwave. Amelia. Oh. Amelia. And like when she wanted to like perform an exorcism on Joelle. After feeding him after meat. Feeding oh my God, Sarah. Meat. After, yeah. The veganism, the veganism, yeah. like fucking narrative. I was like, Sarah fucking century. <laughs> it's it's oh very much, it's, yeah. It's just like the everyday like villains, right? And I also think that that was um, a pretty intricate part of like how Clara Anna's relationship was because Anna was uh, ultimately demonized by her parents by not like doing what they were trying to, Mm. you know, preserve her for, you know, coming from like a wealthy family and her just like trying to take this dive. And I think that like the lesbianism like portion of this movie was also representative of that, of Anna like rebuking everything that she had grown into. And that also goes back to Abby and respectability politics. And even though she like ultimately decided to just like sacrifice herself, that was still ultimately her choice. And she was doing everything that she wanted to do with her fucking life, even if that meant eating blood and spaghetti. (laughs) Yeah. Like she's going to do it. It's her life. It's her life. Let her eat the spaghetti blood, okay? Yeah. Who doesn't like a nice (laughs) (laughs) A nice bloody spaghetti. Yeah, there was also a cat with a hat on, though, in that movie. Just wanted to say. <laughs> oh, my God, you're right. I was the also thinking about the cat. A brief cat yeah. with a hat. Yeah, it does seem like I wrote it, right? Like, Yes. <laughs> I feel like you're gaslighting us, Sarah, and that you actually did write this. Like, and you're just like. <laughs> just showing up being like, hey, everybody, watch this movie. I had somebody do, do that ever with hear music of this one movie? time where they were like, they put on their music and then they were like, what do you think? And then at the end, they were like, it was me. I'm the one who made this music. And I was like, no. I gave a real opinion. I didn't actually, but it, I was like sensing that the situation Smart. was weird, right? So like that's why I didn't. And then at the end it was like, haha, it's me. And I was like, it's so good while I'm like backing out of the door anyway. You know, honestly, it's so good. I had just I have to go, I guess. Have a great day. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. We gotta do the Abby. I'm going home, bitch. <laughs> I'm going home, bitch. See? Yeah, Abby really is the hero. You're just like, <laughs> truly. If only, if you know what, next time I leave a room. <laughs> Same. I'm fucking, you know what? In five minutes, brace yourself. Okay, so let's jump forward one more time into in time. We're going to go to Censor 2021. Okay, okay. So the synopsis of this fucking movie. Oh, my God. <laughs> So, okay, this lady's a censor in Britain. She decides what movies can be publicized and which movies have to be, like, pulled. And this was a real thing that happened, but uh, the historical significance ends there. <laughs> so she is known as this, like, Miss Perfect, and she, like, censors everything, but this one movie is all fucked up, and she, like, approves it. And then there's, like, this murder, and she connects it to the movie that she approved, and then she gets approached by this producer who's, like, this 
film guy wants you to personally approve his movie that he's making. She fucking watches it, and then she feels like she sees her sister. Who went missing when she was a child, child. we find out. We find out that there's this whole thing where her sister went missing. Anyway, she thinks she sees her sister, so she goes to this guy's basically film set, this guy, Frederick North. And she's convinced that she sees her sister in this actor, and she's, like, trying to find her. And she ends up, like, some fucked up shit ends up happening. She kills uh, a couple people in this movie. It's fucking gory in yeah. a couple parts. She it's kills really gory. Actors <laughs> in a movie that she thinks is reality. Yeah, she goes home to her. She goes home to her parents' house and like she's bringing her sister home. And like this woman, this actor at the end, at the very end, is like, <laughs> dude, pleading with this stranger's parents <laughs> who just murdered some people and kidnapped her and took her and is like completely. Is that what happened? Who knows? Because there's this whole ending where it was beautiful and everything, but yeah, that doesn't seem real. <laughs> They're like, you're so smart and right about everything. And she's like, oh my God, yeah. <laughs> there's like, and then there's like that static and that like, ru- like that jump, like cut where you're like, wait, yeah. wait, what? What's actually happening? That girl looks scared. She looks happy. She looks scared. She looks happy. Wait, are we in the film? Are we out of the film? I texted Kate immediately after watching this and was like, this is me. And it was someone, it was a gif of someone being like, what is, oh, it was actually Morbius from uh, The Matrix being like, what is reality? What makes something real? And I was like, that is me after watching Censored. Oh, yes. I don't know fucking anything. Thank you for sending me that gif. <laughs> I mean, this movie is like ultimately about gaslighting, essentially. Mm, mm-hmm. Um, so actually Sarah what told me about this movie. Yeah. Like it was like 2021 when I watched this. And um I have read some some think pieces about this movie. And there were a lot of like topics. Like some people were talking about like this movie was representative of like trauma responses and like how it can relate to like how uh people are now adding trigger warnings to certain things and like how we should always like be cognizant of like how certain like things can trigger people into you know traumatic like flashbacks and things like that Mm -hmm. and I do have PTSD and I do have like some things that are just like completely like mind-numbing to me like if I see it like it just takes me back to like a space and like it I just like ultimately don't want to view anything and I don't want to have anything to do with it Mm -hmm. and I feel like the movie does like a really good job of like trying to like commit Enid as kind of like even though she's kind of like this very like I, I wouldn't say prudish. No, not prudish. Not really, She's more yeah. strict, right? Like strict. She's more like strict and very like, you know, cold and like, I wouldn't say hard. But like, yeah, so like she's just very much like aligned to like her ways. And they kind of like dress her up as like being like this kind of like perfect person uh, with a very traumatic like past. But it's like very... Oh, wait, should I give spoilers now or should I wait? We spoiled later? the ending. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Spoil away. It's too late now. But it's kind of like the twist is that actually Enid is the really fucked up person, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So, like, I think that, that mo- the movie did, like, a really good job because I feel like some horror movies do a really bad job of doing, like, the gaslighty twist because it's, like, very all, all the clues are there that, like, this person mm-hmm. is ultimately, like, the baddie. But this movie did a really good job of character development, I feel, for Enid. yeah. Especially as a censor. I feel like censors, they just don't get a lot of sympathy, right? <laughs> so, Well, yeah. And I also think about that. Uh, I was thinking about that documentary about the MPAA. Yeah. And what their protocols are. 
and how they rate films. This like film they, is not she yet made rated. like is it that one? I think it's that one. Yeah, but she like made an example of like how American Beauty got like a rated R, but um, but I'm a cheerleader. Like initially received an NC seventeen mm. uh, rating because of like the scene of like Natasha Leone like masturbating, which is a classic. Against, by the way, like, in the in the bathroom, yeah, um, with the shocker or whatever. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, Stop objectifying so, yeah, that's women. Initially, Shock. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, so I thought that that was like one of the classic points because one, I I don't think I don't think I would have watched this film if Sarah hadn't told me about it because I don't really feel like it's made its rounds in that sense. Yeah, sure. Um, but I do think that it did an incredible job of also playing back to that whole idea of I'm trying to think of a different word. Mind bending. Yeah. I like to think that like most normies are like serial killers, you know, and Enid <laughs> mm-hmm. was kind of like that, like picture perfect, like normie who's just like doing her job and people would chastise her because they thought that her ties were t- laced a little too tight, you know, <laughs> but in the end, like she was ultimately the one that was like, <laughs> she did. She was not straight laced. <laughs> she was not straight laced. And I love movies like that because I ultimately think that the weirdos are the ones that are always regarded as being like the killers and the weirdos. But like this film in particular was, it was good. I liked it. And I also thought it was beautifully shot. Yeah. And the gore and just like the vintage like videos, like scenes, like that was just like oh, man. so culty and so good. So good. And and like and really fucked with your sense of real, right? Exactly. Like, yeah. And that's what I'm saying. And that was so well done. It did a really great job at gaslighting all of us, <laughs> which I think is like really hard to do sometimes in horror films because it's been done so many times before and it can get really cliche and the twist can be really wild. But like I actually was genuinely surprised. Honestly. Yeah. Oh, I was shocked to fuck. Yeah. yeah. Like, I was like, what the fucking fuck? And then something that I, Sarah and I have been talking a lot about, you know, horror endings. And Hey, welcome. It's, it's Halloween month. We're talking about horror. So, yes, we've been talking about endings. And we've been talking about the way that, like, those happy endings feel tacked on. Even in Abby, we talked about that today. It kind of felt tacked on. Mm-hmm. And I love that what Censor did was, like, let me give you the happy ending. I'm gonna but it is it not you. what you want. Gonna, she's going to save the fucking day. But guess what? You can't trust a thing this bitch sees. And that is, I will sit with that probably for the rest of time. Like mm-hmm. that was so well, it was so well established and then like flipped. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I loved it. And the way they also, they used like, um, what if one of you filmy babies has to tell me what it's called? But you know, like the aspect ratio is different mm-hmm. between like film and TV, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. and they use they played with those aspect ratios mm-hmm. in a way that kind of fucked with your head. Mm-hmm. Oh God, what a movie! Do I like it? No. Do I love it? <laughs> yes. There was a scene, the scene that sticks out to me because it does have a lot of scenes that I think are really hard hitting, right? And it has a lot of commentary because, as you noted, video nasties was like a thing. The V. VHS horror movies that you could only buy under the counter at the video store and all of this kind of thing. (laughs) It was a huge cultural thing right around the same time we were having good old satanic panic, right? So they kind of overlapped with one another in a way. And they were both major censorship issues. It also kind of preempted a lot of the stuff that was would soon be going on with the world of music, right? So Mm -hmm. there has always been this kind of wave of censorship that generally targets things that people already would find questionable right (laughs) like something that's like a slasher film or something I loved the scene where she goes to dinner with her parents 
And they are going to say they're going to finally declare her sister as dead, right? Like they're finally Mm going to do the paperwork. They're like, hey, we want to tell you it's been like 20 years. They're doing the paperwork and there's a scene of she's like, no, you can't do that. We don't know that she's gone. And literally like this, this whole scene plays out where you just see how the whole thing is going to go. Like you almost see like that this is like a completely broken human being, right? Because, and it's like, they do it in this way that I think is so subtle because they're like, you're not going to do this again. Don't do this again, right? And you get this mm-hmm. long-standing context of her obsession with her sister and everybody else being like, why did you do it? And like, why wasn't it you <laughs> that this happened to? So in a lot of ways, she feels that bringing her sister back is going to fix everything, Like, there's somebody who's Mm -hmm. gone who, if they were present, then things would be different. Uh, The world would be a better place, right? And um, maybe they'll take her instead. And I think that there's so much of this film is basically, like, why not me? Survivor's guilt, you know? Mm -hmm. Definitely. All of those things is a very meta movie, of course, because it's a movie about horror movies. Um, You always got... All that fun interplay happening, like, ooh, who's the who's the viewer now? You know, and like <laughs> all of that kind of stuff. I love that shit. <laughs> it really doesn't let up, right? Like, it's one of those movies where it kind of has this, um, like, kind of a teaser opening in a way. Like the first like twenty minutes, they're kind of like she's a, mm-hmm. so much a viewer of what's horrible in the world. And then it's just kind of like the hits keep coming after that. Like once the mask is off, the mask is like off, off, off. Like the rest of the movie is just kind of um, her just uh, increasingly out of control. Yeah. I love how it's a movie about someone who like so much has gone wrong in her life. And she tries to make up for that by like... um, It's like she tries to control things that are ultimately out of her control because like the reason Mm. that she cares so much about her job is that she thinks like if she just censors movies in the right way, then nobody will like commit violence. And like that's not how the world works, Mm -hmm. but like it feels very real as like a response to something that happened that was so traumatic to her in her life. Um, And so I really love that. Yeah, totally. It was like the whole don't go in the church film that she saw a little bit of like Mm -hmm. in all the flashbacks she was having about when she was little with her sister and her going missing it was just like this it definitely fucked with your sense of reality and like wait a minute like uh did this happen i don't know probably not i love how it um there's that like uh repeating shot of like the red-haired girl like turning to look at you Mm -hmm. and like i love how it makes that scary because like in Mm -hmm. another context it wouldn't be scary but in this movie it feels scary yeah yes priya that's the perfect segue that's what i needed someone to say thank you because i think that there's another version of this film that's a farce there are all the makings of comedy here misunderstandings family relationships (laughs) film sets what's real and and to take it in this tragic direction is art it is so wonderful i love this movie so much i don't know if i'll watch it again but i do think i'll think about it a lot do you know what i mean like where i'll just i just like i'm just gonna think about her fucking murdering that guy in like a ditch (laughs) it's just murder so much murder there a lot of murder. 
there's a lot of murder. That's probably our only slasher of the films. Yeah. There's a line in it um, when she um, is like, after she's killed the guy and she's running after the actress and she's like, you're my sister. And the actress is like, I have a sister and she's not you. (laughs) And that like made me laugh for some reason. (laughs) I I think you're right about how like it has like um, the makings of like something funny, but the way it's presented is not funny. Yeah. And then sometimes is at the end, <laughs> there it gets to a certain place where you're like, when she's like, I'm protecting the whole world. <laughs> it's like you mm-hmm. almost can't help, but kind of crack up. But yeah, exactly. It's not presented to be that way. It's like definitely presented to be like, this is a bleak horror film. This was also the director's first feature from what I understand. And I think that that's yeah. just wow. absolutely amazing. So mm-hmm. well done. Yeah, um, Prano Bailey Bond. Mm-hmm. I don't really know how to pronounce her name, but yeah. Where is she from? I uh, think maybe British. I'm not 100%, but... Welsh. Yeah, she's Welsh. Ah. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. Also, can I just say I love when the guy dies from his trophy. Like oh, yeah. That. He gets stabbed by his own oh, trophy. Yeah. That's not a great bad. scene. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty brutal. When that happens, I was like, oh, shit, this bitch going to kill some people. <laughs> and it did kind of flip the script a little bit, right? Because I remember him yeah. being like a sketch ball, but it was like not quite. He was like, at a certain point, he's like, wait, no, what? <laughs> right? I don't quite remember. Or it might have been the in the um, weird trailer park in the woods or whatever, where this guy's like, no, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> like, Yeah, like the guy who like has sort of what what is at least meant to be played as, like, a, a grotesque right, visage. Okay. And so she's, like, looking into his face, and she's like, oh, my gosh, this is the man who took my sister. Like, that... He's like, what? She's looking so much for that catharsis, and so she finds it even when it's not there, right? Like, oh, it's so convenient to have someone who who looks grotesque be the bad guy, and it's like... Sorry, baby girl. That's probably not what went down. Yeah. <laughs> we are never going to find out, and your parents are always going to hate you for it. Like, it's about all we got. Mm. And now you've murdered people. And, well, they're <laughs> not going to claim you any more now than they did yesterday. <laughs> oh, man. Imagine being those parents. Whew. One kid disappeared. One kid turns into a murderer for <laughs> seemingly also no reason. Also imagine living with those parents, right? Of like just Oof. a high oh, yeah. key hoping that you had been the one who died like for the rest of your life. That's so wild. Mm-hmm. It's so well played in it, that that tension. You know, they do so little to establish it, I feel like, compared to like what the weight yeah. has. It's always in these implied lines, like you were saying, I feel Sarah, like that's how it would be, right? They're like, not again. I feel like that's how it would be, right? Like, if they wouldn't uh, mm-hmm. outwardly say anything. Like, but the way that they imply that it's kind of her mm. fault and they wish it was her. Mm-hmm. Mm. Also, I I recently watched um, season one of Batwoman. And so then when I was watching this show, there was, like, similarities. And so I was expecting the actress, like, to actually be her sister. <laughs> and so <laughs> when it wasn't... It, <laughs> It was like, I don't know. It was funny. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think I did also want it to be the sister. I, You know, I can't help myself. Watching a horror film, some part of me is always rooting for a happy ending, knowing that's just not how it works, you know? <laughs> yeah. But like some part of me is like, she's going to find her sister. <laughs> I mean, like happy walk endings into the are, sunset. are relative, right? Like, I, I mean, I <laughs> yeah, guess Stoker sure. isn't a th- horror movie exactly, but it sort of has a happy ending. 
And it's sort of a horror movie. Yeah. I mean, who's happy here? <laughs> I think Ginger Snaps has kind of a happy ending for Bridget, yeah. you know? Like, she gets to, like... Well, I guess not, because she dies. She she lays on top of her dead sister. <laughs> you know what? I'm taking it back. I forgot to mention this when we were talking about Ginger Snaps, but I love that we don't know if she's going to stay a werewolf or take the cure. Like, I guess in the sequels, I guess mm-hmm. we would find out, but I love the ambiguity of that. You know, mm-hmm. and that's true of a lot of these movies, how they end. You know, there there is an ambiguity. Even Abby, which has, like, that sort of clean ending, to me it felt like, you know, I, I've been listening to a lot of audio horror, and it felt like it was just missing one more line, which was like, and then Abby heard a noise <laughs> at the window. You know what I mean? Like that line that's like, it's over. No, it's not, bitch. <laughs> and I feel like each of the films had a little bit of that. You know, from Stoker, she's literally stabbing a cop. Good manners, they're fighting a mob. Mm-hmm. Ginger snaps, you know, you're like, oh, this is sad, but this can't be the end. And then Censor, it's like, Oh, my God. What the fuck's going to happen next? <laughs> yeah. That's a good weave of all of the, I love it. the movies. Yeah. They all, this was fun. This was really fun. Yeah. I didn't, you know, we span what? Well, with Monica's movie, we span, yeah, it was like 74. So Yeah. So nearly 50, 50 years. The bulk of them being in the, the, the 2000s. Plus, I mean, is this still, no, this is, yeah, this is the 2000s. I don't know. Is 2022 the 2000s? I don't know. I've had two beers. I can't tell what time <laughs> is anymore. Yeah, I, I like that I watched a bunch of movies I wouldn't have watched probably. And then I like that I got to have you guys watch Stoker and I got to talk about it. <laughs> Yeah, that was fun. This is my favorite part of doing movies on the pod is like, I'm not, I wouldn't pick up these movies to watch on my own. And then I'm so happy I did. Yeah, same. I watched, I'm so happy we watched all these movies. Thank you. I'm happy too. And I'm glad to have you back on the pod, Kate. I haven't talked to you in a minute. So it's always nice to catch up on, um, you know, just bullshit, basically. Horror movies (laughs) Talking about the things that are bullshit, like horror movies that we liked, which whenever you brought up Censor, I was like, okay, let's talk about that. What was the other one that you recommended, though? I forgot. Oh, I was kind of interested in watching Dolly Dearest or talking about it. That's right. Because I've seen it, but... I haven't seen that one. I'll watch it, though. (laughs) It's pretty great. It's also directed by a lady, I think. And Denise Crosby is in it. Oh, yeah. I'm going to choose a Nick Cage movie next time. Well, this has been remarkable. Dear listeners, make sure you check out Abby, Ginger Snaps, Stoker, Good Manners, and Censor. Maybe in that order, maybe in whatever order feels right to you. If you have seen them and think our opinions are poo, keep it to yourself. If you've seen them and you have fun things to say, hit us up on Twitter because then we're cool. But if you just have to tell me my opinions are bad, like, listen, I know. I know my opinions are bad. They're mine. I have to live with them every day. Uh, This has been absolutely incredible. Priya, Kate, thank you for being our special guests here. Both of you, if you want to just share where people could find you on social media or online. Priya, let's start with you. Oh, yeah. Um, Well, thank you so much for having me on the episode. It was really fun. Um, You can follow me on Twitter at Letters of Priya. I just tweet about whatever but yeah i think that's where you can find me uh yeah i am a ghost online probably just mirror fears on twitter and instagram and then probably my band too because that's the other one i check all the time church fire 666 on instagram church fire music (laughs) (laughs) on the other things 
Very thematically appropriate. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, I loved, I just, I really did love that scene in Abby in the church where she's fucking singing and then coughing and then fighting and then laughing and then she's <laughs> aggressive. It's like the whole gamut. Beating the shit out of that guy and then having a real giggle about it. These movies, if I had to give them a theme, it would be We Chose Them. <laughs> um, yeah, truly amazing. Well, listeners, thank you so much for joining us. Patrons, you make the world of Bitches on Comics go round. If you're not a patron, come join us. Um, I don't have a hot sell item here. Just like, do you like us? Then join us. <laughs> and yeah, Sarah, you know I love you. Monica, you know I think you're uh, the tits. And I hope everyone has a great Halloween. Keep it spooky, people. Let us know Ooh, what you're up to. What are you going to dress spooky. up as? Tweet us. What are you going to dress up as for Halloween? I was like, oh, are you asking me? Like, Let me think I'm, about it. I'm making a request to the listeners for the first time in my life. Yeah, guys. listeners, what are you going to be, you gonna for, be Halloween? for Halloween? I'm thinking of being Tendi from Star Trek Lower Decks. Get out. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't think I'm going to be anything. Yeah. But if I am going to be something right now, my friend is trying to get me to be Laszlo from what we do in the shadows. Nice. And then my partner could be Nandor. Oh, my God. And... That'd be really fun. I'm going to go as the lady from Censor. Because <laughs> <laughs> you just have that outfit. <laughs> just have a nice little like 80s scarf on and I'm good to go. Come on. Priya, are you going to go as the Stoker girl? No, literally, I actually am thinking of doing that. <laughs> oh, send us the photo. Of course. That's beautiful. All right, everyone, you rule. Thank you for listening to Bitches on Comics. We are a bi-weekly podcast where we talk to your favorite comics and pop culture creators and critics about what matters to them in comics and pop culture, as you might have guessed. You can follow us on Twitter at at Bitches on Comics and on Instagram at at Bitches on Comics. Our website is, brace yourself, bitchesoncomics.com. If you go there, you can listen to any of our episodes and we've got other shit that we put on tabs. I don't remember what it is. I am in charge of updating the website, however, so good luck. Thanks for the heads up. I'll go to this website now. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. I'm S.E. Fleenor. You can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at S.E. underscore Fleenor. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization.
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.